Hi there, welcome to Imprints. I'm M. Branson, your host. This week I want to talk about something that is really present to mind right now and I think is present to mind always for me, and that is resistance and overcoming it. So if you are a subscriber, thank you so much for being here. Grab your, uh, your beverage of choice and enjoy a little bit of a story for the next, next few minutes. I'd rather draw a circle than write a circle. These are my own infamous words uttered countless times during my first 13 or so odd years as an artist and a designer. This was often said by me as a way to defend my choice not to learn to code for my day-to-day design work. Seated deep in my subconscious, I knew this was just a sad excuse, mainly to avoid delving into something that ultimately intimidated and still intimidates me on a day-to-day basis code. So when it comes down to it, I was resisting learning to code, coding, jumping into something totally foreign. So how did I end up bridging that unseen and seemingly insurmountable gap? I found generative art. So here's a fun definition for you by Philip Galantier or Galanter. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, Uh, but if you're looking at the written version of this post, there's a link to the paper that this, uh, this quote is pulled from. So generative art refers to any art practice where the artist creates a process, such as a set of natural language rules, a computer program, a machine, or other procedural invention, which is then set into motion with some degree of autonomy contributing to or resulting in a completed work of art. What had been an artistic blind spot for me has become a gateway where previously no code learning could hold my attention. Generative art is fascinating. Any formal design education I've completed has included basic HTML and CSS courses, each with enough computer-based theory to get me over that hump of conceptual understanding with regard to how the internet is made manifest. Any deeper learning, though, uh, I've been introduced to was self-sought in order to create a better relationship with my developer and engineer counterparts on my day-to-day job. After all, knowing, one, how to communicate with the people coding your visual designs, and two, understanding the constraints they may be up against in building them are pretty key to to the product design process. Knowing your developer and knowing your engineer and knowing enough about code when you're a designer to knowing your printer um, in the day and age of print-only graphic design output. And so you would form a relationship with this person who was the intermediary with the output machine. And so I've had a very human-to-human based experience thus far. And ultimately, it's come down to needing to learn this myself, mostly because it feels like a compulsive need. (laughs) And uh, I think before I was pushing it down, um, but now generative art has unlocked that. 
Nowhere in my previous art history lessons or graphic design education was generative art noted, at least not in a way that I recognized as relevant to me. So that's a lie. Actually, a textbook most assuredly talked about it, and I was probably just too stressed out at the time about midterms or my girlfriend at the time or my next critique session to take notice. I, I doubt that it was never mentioned to me. <laughs> From time to time, I'd find myself working with someone who identified as a creative coder or a creative technologist and would have my interest peaked when I look through their portfolios and I'd find code-based motion design outputs or prototypes of data model visualizations. Perhaps it was then that I started to have a notion of where I would personally head creatively. I often shrugged off any curiosity by stating that path was too hard or too cumbersome or too much of a divergence from my design focus. It wasn't until I dug into NFTs that I was fully introduced to generative art and its algorithmic counterpart. When I say introduced, let me be clear that it was more of a face on fire, brain melting with excitement type of introduction. As I started to grok the possibilities, I was seeing pour out of fellow artists via artblocks.io or fxhash.xyz. It was like my favorite mid-century minimalist modern artists were making sweet, sweet love to modern technology. And I wanted in on it. I wanted to code a circle, damn it. <laughs> so I did. Eventually it took me about a year to get over myself, my resistance, my fear, and finally try, but I did it. And then I did it again. So how? I've got a list of resources for you. And uh, again, if you check out the written posts, they're in there. Uh, but there's five of them. So the first one is The Coding Train. There's a whole website. They're on YouTube. They're awesome. Daniel Schiffman is the instructor, conductor of The Coding Train. P5JS was my language of choice jumping in there. I think it's just an amazing like, entry point. It's web-based. It's, it's great. Uh, especially anybody who's coming from HTML, CSS background. It's a JavaScript language. It's, it's great. But they have so many more tutorials too. So check out the coding train. And as you're watching the coding train, you'll get an introduction to p5js.org. And you'll be taught to make things with their web editor. And pretty quickly, you'll make that circle. The third one would be learning processing. Also by Daniel Schiffman. This is a website. It's also a book. I got the hard copy because I really want to support this guy. He's super talented and an amazing instructor. But the entire book is online too, so you can copy paste the code as you're learning and going. Fourth one, Getting Started with P5JS is another book. And it's by Lauren McCarthy, Casey Rias, and Ben Fry. And those three are hugely successful, amazing contributors to P5JS. Um, I believe Lauren is actually the a developer of the language itself. Um, I could be wrong on that, don't quote me. But anyway, the link to that book takes you back to that P5JS site, but I have that as well, and it's an amazing resource. And then fifth and final is January.art. It is a community-led uh, movement to do a, uh, an annual monthly for the month of January, a generative art coding challenge. And each day of the month, there are prompts. And so for ongoing annual prompt inspiration, this is just such a great place to 
have some accountability, some, you know, hey, I don't know what I'm going to make or even what to learn next, um, a way to dig into that. Bit by bit then, so, you know, I've been stretching my brain to learn how to code my art on and off for about six months now, still very nascent. Uh, I've yet to fully complete that January um, set of prompts for 2023, but I'm on my way. And once I do, I'll be sure to make an imprints post with all of them in one place. It only seems fitting considering that the imprints visual, the circle within the square, was born of these early works. So that's one of my very first generative art pieces uh, for the suprematism prompt. And um, yeah, it's just uh, be fun to bring all of them here once they're done. So I'm, a, I'm on about like day, I don't know, 20 something, more than halfway through. I'm taking my time. My ultimate goal, though, would be to create a long-form algorithm-based project so that I could host on my own website, complete with levers for potential collectors to co-create their own art output. So think QQL by Tyler Hobbs and Dandelion Whist. This is a project, the thing I just said, <laughs> which probably sounds like nothingness to some people, um, but QQL is, a, is a, an algorithm-based uh, generative art project that was released last year and um, it's it's just beautiful stunning and so complex and as collectors of it you get to um, you get to pull the levers you get to you know within some parameters make some selections that have give you some control in, in what you end up collecting which isn't always the case with generative art I would love in, in the long run to be able to achieve that uh, level of, of expertise but in the nearer term, <laughs> oh, damn, damn for my, uh, my uh, expectations of it. I just want to create my first long form project and release it on FX hash, which is on the Tezos blockchain. I'd like that to be, that's my biggest goal artistically of the year. And if I can do that again, more than once, say with a curated set of outputs on the next one, that would be a huge personal success. As I work up to those goals, I've started releasing some of my favorite one-off outputs, though, as NFTs on Tezos. So you can find the piece that's featured in the opening of this written article as an addition on object.com. It's called What Goes Up. It is based on the January prompt from day 16 this year, Reflection of a Reflection. In creating it, I learned the arc function, and I narrowed in on the color palette I've been exploring throughout this January set. And yes, it does feature circles. It features a lot of circles. So I can feel the inklings of my first long form project also percolating, but nothing concrete has emerged yet. I'll be sure to keep you posted as I work through it. And in the meantime, check out those resources that I called out and make a circle of your own. You never know what code may unlock for you. Resistance is futile after all. As always, thank you for being here. If you have subscribed, you're awesome. And if you haven't yet, please do, especially ahead of next week, where I'll be announcing a giveaway for a very special piece of literary work by a talented friend. So not my art, I'll be giving away something by somebody else. And a little by the way, my guilty pleasure on repeat song of the week this week has been Love Struck by Gia Wolf. So check that one out. Until next Wednesday, cheers.
Hi there, me again, back so soon. If you like what you heard today, I hope that you'll subscribe and uh, also consider sharing this with somebody else who might enjoy it.